The French History Podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. History, pop culture, news, whatever it is you're looking for, Evergreen has the best of it. There's nothing like a well-made ship. As someone whose grandfather spent his whole life working the docks of New York City and San Francisco, I grew up with an appreciation for the colossal sailing vessels of the 20th century. There are few things as impressive as seeing the inside of one of those floating behemoths. What makes today's episode special is that the book my guest and I will talk about is available for free online. It has phenomenal pictures of the town of Letre, its shipyards, and the incredible vessels that they created. I urge everyone to check it out and admire the complexity and artistry so beautifully presented in the work. Joining me is Dr. Mathieu Bidot. Bidot is a corporate historian for Forum Sarle, Worms & Company since 2019. He is an associated researcher at the Laboratory of History, GRHIS, from the University of Rouen, Normandie. He has a PhD in contemporary history and is the author of La Fabrication des Billets en France, Construire la Confiance Monétaire, 1800 à 1914, recently published by Presse des Sciences Po. He is a member of the board of the Association Française pour l'Histoire et l'Étude du Papier et du Papeterie, a member of the board of the Société Libre d'Amélioration de la Seine-Maritime, and a member of the Société Française de Numismatique. With Christian Lebali, he published Fifty Years of Shipbuilding on the Banks of the Seine, A.C.S.M., and its Garden City in 2022, the subject of today's episode. Thank you so much for being on the program. Your book, 50 Years of Shipbuilding on the Banks of the Seine, the ACSM and their Garden City, 1917 to 1972, is a fascinating read about one village and their incredible industry and how that had its ups and downs throughout time. Your book begins with the long history of Letre, the village that we are looking at. Can you give us a background of this village? Yes, well, um, Letre was a village on the east of Normandy, between the cities of Rouen and Le Havre, in the north of France. Letre is nestled just between the river Seine and the forest. The history of this city is the story of a quiet and a sleepy village. There were around 300 inhabitants. Very few people lived there. It was a rural town. Uh, actually, Letre existed because it was what we called with Christian Le Bay, who wrote the, the book with me, a border territory, a place where the land of uh, different lords meets and a river crossing place where people could pass through the river. The peasants used 
to live by fishing and thanks to the wood of the forest. In the, in the 19th century, Lautrey started to become an interesting place for industry thanks to its small railway station. This is an important fact to understand its evolution in the 20th century. Now, let's get on to a major factor that wholly changes the village, which is Worms and Sea. What was Worms and Sea, and how did it come to choose Le Trait? Uh, Worms and uh, Company was a, um, an important French firm founded in the, in the 1840s by Hippolyte Worms. That merchant banker started several businesses as plaster trading from Paris sent to England, uh, several businesses before he creates his international trading in British coal imports into France. He establishes bases in France and Great Britain in the cities of Rouen, Dieppe, Newcastle, Le Havre, Cardiff. He founded bases alongside the railway stations in France during the 19th century. After that, the company started to get its own ships to carry on the coal from Great Britain. Since then, um, and Company get a solid reputation as a ship owner. The French state begins to have confidence in, in Worms and Company. Besides, Worms and Company proved to be reliable in tense moments. For example, Worms and Company furnishes the whole coal needed for the French Navy during the Crimea War. Worms and Company also furnishes the coal for the company Messagerie Maritime responsible for the distribution of mail in the Far East. That is why during World War I, the French state turns to Worms and Company and some private companies to found shipyards absolutely needed to make the war on and under the seas. In Normandy in uh, 1916, Le Tre still was a village, but the railway station is useful to carry on the materials needed to build the sh shipyard and the ships. Also, the width, the, the length between the two banks of the River Seine is enough to launch ships. And of course, Le Trait is quite far away from the front line to see the, the birth of ships. The company heads practically turned into urban planners who remade the city. One important aspect of this was that the city would be designed as a garden city. Can you explain what a garden city is and how it took form in Le Trait? Yes, well, a uh, mm, uh, garden city is actually a kind of social housing born in England, thanks to the British urbanist Howard, who wanted to suggest something else for the workers, and another way of life, another type of houses, more respectful for the life of the working class. The project replaces the polluted industrial city with a better living situation, which can help the development of diseases as it was in the in the 19th century. In in Le Trait, the the architect architect urbanist Gustave Majou found inspiration in the garden cities of the east of France, like Pierrepont in Moselle. Uh, Majou calculated the air volume of each worker's house, of each engineer's house for every member of the family family who lives in. He oriented the new industrial city of Lotre toward the, the shipyards, which is a new city center instead of the church, you know, 
which leads to some tensions with the old people of Lautré when Worms and Company transformed the city in 1917. I could also say as an example of how it took form in Lautré that the director of the shipyard wrote that the company heads wanted to offer a, a garden to each member of the staff to, to cultivate vegetables, to feed them in the healthiest way. Even the, even the question of the supply of uh, water has been uh, calculated. Truly a fascinating setup. So let's move from the city itself to the people. What was daily life like for people in Le Trey? Well, besides the condition of the life of the workers, the head of the company created a, a social environment to, to keep their workers on site. They founded associations, a library, a hospital, everything you can need. And it was really useful because villages next to Lautre had nothing, absolutely nothing. So they organized every aspect of the workers' lives. So what was the daily life for people in Lautre? Well, workers or foremen or engineers had almost the same day every day. They worked in the shipyard during the day. After the working day, when they had some time, they spent it in clubs, associations of the company. When they had some rest, they, they could go for a walk in Lautre, which was a very beautiful city because Worms and company took care of the city thanks to gardeners. This project worked, uh, this project worked very well, actually. I talked to the old people of Lautre, and uh, a lot of them loved this uh, lifestyle. Truly interesting how you can say that they love this lifestyle, but it was kind of the same every day. Mm -hmm. um, the Great Depression was a particularly trying time for the shipyards. How did workers and companies try to stay afloat during this period? You are right, Gary, and this is a good question. Of the, the seven shipyards founded around the same time of Lautré, several disappeared during the Great Depression. The Worms and Company shipyard was one of the most solid. It survived. It survived thanks to the network of Worms and Company. Customers of the shipyard was, were also friends companies of Worms and Company. Besides, Worms had some political support. The company fought to get contracts during this period. Uh, contracts from the French Navy or contracts with the French administration. Worms, as a ship owner, even ordered to build a ship to its shipyard. They didn't really need it, but uh, to keep the workers busy and give them a salary, they ordered it. So Worms had a real interest in social issues. For sure, um, they were what we call a paternalistic company. So we move from one crisis to another, from the Great Depression to the Second World War. World War II was a dangerous period for the people of Latay. If they did not work, they would have no income. But if they did, they would be supplying the enemy. Meanwhile, the Allies repeatedly bombed the shipyards. What did workers and management do during this period? And how did they act during the war? And this was indeed a, a very difficult period for the people of Lautré. After World War II, 
the director of the shipyard said it was the most devastated shipyard in France. That's saying something. Workers bought time not to build warships for the enemy. Some stories say that the, the workers built on daylight and dismantled what they did by night. There was a big pressure on the workers and the managers because of the German needs. So the main strategy was to play with the di different orders. The, the head of the shipyard had to obey to whom? To, to the French government, to, to the French Navy, to the German government, or to the German Navy. The head of the shipyard discussed the terms of the orders all the time. It was a smart strategy. The head of the shipyard ordered workers not to work fast. The French director said he didn't have enough workers, for example, he rescued some workers from the STO, you, you know, the forced labor for the German war effort. Um, well, um, the German needed uh, a lot of workers for their war effort. So they kind of uh, requis requisition the, the French uh, working class to, to work uh, uh, for their war efforts. And, and, and uh, a lot of young people uh, struggled to not to be uh, in the German working class uh, and uh, making this uh, war effort. People from Lotre tried to stall all the time during World War II, but then could no longer do so when the Germans took people from Lotre as uh, hostages and the workers had to deliver one oil tanker, uh, a freighter and a barge, but uh, it was a, a ridiculous production next to the capacity of the shipyard. Yes, that was a truly remarkable thing that you note in your book, how the shipyard, had they been working at full capacity, they would have been able to produce potentially a significant addition to the German Navy, and yet they ended up producing virtually nothing. It was truly remarkable. The post-war period was a boom time for Latre, yet it also had its challenges one which would ultimately bring about the industry's downfall. Guide us through the rise and fall during the post-war period. Um, the the post-war period is a paradoxical period for the shipyard of Vomps and Company. Because of the war, of course, a, a lot of ships must be built. So the order book is full for several months, even several years. The shipyard is almost entirely destroyed after the, the air raids of World War II. So the director, Pierre Abba, developed a prefabrication circuit, a rational circuit inspired by the most modern North American shipyards in the world, like Vancouver, Walsh Kaiser, Coal Ship, Marine Ship, or St. John's River shipyards. Vomps and Company is using one of the most modern shipyards of France when the new shipyard is ready. In fact, the destroying of the factories was an opportunity to think about a new organization more rational. The, the problem is that there is a structural problem in French shipbuilding at this time. The cost was falling, but state subsidies were still necessary for the survival of many shipyards. In addition, war reparations gave the impression that everything was going well but when Germany finished paying for war reparations, activity declined. Besides, the colonial empire was collapsing. 
So the new countries could order their ships to foreign countries. This meant fewer opportunities. When the French state decided to end giving subsidies because the French state didn't need so many shipyards anymore, around 1959-1960, the, the French shipbuilding started to know a terrible decline. What legacy did the shipbuilding industry leave on Le Trait, and what is it like today? Um, today, you can see the, the face of Le Trait is changed forever. This is the face of an industrial city. You can recognize it among all of the cities of the countryside of Normandy. This is clearly the, the work of Forms and Company, which is responsible of this face of Le Trait. Um, nowadays, uh, several industries take place in this city instead of the shipyard. It's logical. The infrastructure, the equipment, the roads were made for the industry, the, the big industry. That is why you can find Sanofi, the giant of the pharmaceutical industry. You can find also Technip, the giant of the flexible pipe industry. This is a Franco-American company. You can find a company who builds Houses like ready-to-wear, like ready-to-live-in houses. The population of Lotre still is a mix of workers and managers of the factories of Lotre. I uh, absolutely need to say also that the city looks like, looks like sometimes to an industrially depressed city because there is some unemployment. But the essence of Lotre, once uh, 100%, uh, country, village, is now entirely turned towards big industry. And a truly fascinating place with an, a remarkable amount of history. The book is 50 Years of Shipbuilding on the Banks of the Seine. It is a fascinating read, and it is currently online with so many pictures and diagrams and blueprints of ships that I think everyone should check it out and look at how this history comes to life. You did a truly fantastic job. Thank you so much for being on the program. And I will include, uh, I should also note, I will include links to the book on the website. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you very much, Gary. Thank you. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siècle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.